And just a little bit of advance notice. You're going to notice that for most of this message this morning, I'm not going to be making any reference to the gospel. I'm not going to be mentioning Jesus or his spirit. The reason for that is that there are many places in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, with that. But at the very end of the message, I will bring those in. Keep in mind that even passages like this that don't make any reference to Jesus, that doesn't mean that it's not related to Jesus Christ. All Scripture has to do with the promise of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and all that he accomplished for his people. So I simply say that to give you advance notice. Psalm 139 speaks of both the omniscience and the omnipresence of our Creator. That is, He knows all things and He is everywhere. Our text will be verses 13 through 16, which contains several terms that take us into the area of great mystery. Terms like inward, fearfully, hidden, secret, depths, unformed. Now, of course, these words are poetic in their literary style, yet that style reveals realities about the physical marvels of the unborn, especially the God who relates to them. I'm going to begin reading at verse 7 through verse 16. This is the word of God. David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This Thursday marks the 47th anniversary, if we can use that word, of the famous Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, which opened the doors for abortions. I tried to find out how many abortions have been done in our own country, and the closest I could come to is that it either is approaching or has come to 70 million abortions since 1973. That's 70 million murders of our nation's future children and adults. But that's the human factor, and we've heard about it, we are aware of it, and I'm sure most, if not all of you, are very concerned about that. But this morning, we're going to explore the divine factor of God's relationship to the unborn. In the first six verses, we read about God knowing us very well. In verses 7 through 12, we find that he is always near us. 
But one of the best proofs of these two truths, God's omniscience and God's omnipresence, is what we find in our text. The design of your body and my body from the very beginning. Yet these words were written in a day when anatomy and embryology was virtually unknown. Yet here in this ancient song, we find the prenatal stages of development are set forth with simplicity and insight. Only a God who knows us, only a God who is near us, could be so intimately involved making us. Perhaps notice in verses 11, 12, the reference to darkness. It appears one, two, three times. There's also a reference to night. And as we move from those verses, David takes us into verses 13 to 16, and we're still in the realm of darkness, the darkness of the womb. But in that womb, we learn something about the God of the unborn. The first thing we see in verse 13 The God of the unborn is the creator. David writes in verse 13, You formed my inward parts. The God of creation formed. He originated it. David's saying here, Lord, you have made all things, but especially you, and in Hebrew it's emphasized, that word you, for you, you yourself formed my inward parts. Parts, not Mother Nature, not some mere random collection of physical chemicals and properties that accidentally came together, but you, my Creator, you form me. In my inward parts, interesting Hebrew words, some of you know this, what he's saying there, you form me, verse 13, in my kidneys. So the Hebrew says, In my kidneys. Where are your kidneys? They're about right here, right? A strange thing to say. But that was how the Hebrews understood it. Symbolic in ancient times of all vital organs, kidneys, and liver, and lungs, and heart, and so forth. To the Hebrew people, these were the, this was the seat of their emotions, of their will. We speak mainly of the heart in our day. But back in David's day, it was the kidneys the center of pain, the center of pleasure, the center of the person that was most vital to David's life. He goes on in verse 13, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Knitted me together is one Hebrew word, and the idea is of a thicket. What's a thicket? Well, it's a dense a patch of growth, like a bush. Uh, I'm trying to say here, <laughs> The branches are intertwined in some bushes, that kind of thing. It's a thicket there, a dense growth. And isn't it true that God places all of our organs and other parts of our body in the thicket of our muscles, our tendons, our arteries, our veins, our bones, our blood? Job 10.11, you clothed me in skin and flesh and knit together with bones and tendons. Now, of course, David here is referring to himself when he was, what? An embryo in his mother's womb. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You put this thicket together, and that was me. That was the beginning of me. 
That's the way you created me. Lord, even in my mother's womb, you were involved with me. Quite a profound thought. Alexander McLaren writes in speaking here of David's touching the mysteries of conception and birth with a poetic delicacy and devoid and devout awe, casting a veil of metaphor over the mystery and losing sight of his human parents in the clear vision of the divine creator. Now, it's one thing to speak of, speak of creation in general, but something else to realize that God is our personal creator. He created you and you and you and you and me as particular individuals. The Psalm 100 says, "He, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are not the result of chance. We are not the result of our own efforts in creating ourselves. No, it's his work as creator. If the theory of evolution is true, the inside of the womb is only a bunch of chemicals which somehow managed to produce the beginning of a human life. Far different is the truth of creation. The human life is an amazing result of the making of a personal being in the image of God himself. From the very beginning, we were in God's hands. So the God of the unborn is the creator. The God, secondly, the God of the unborn is praiseworthy. Verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Paul very frequently be riding along and suddenly he breaks into praise of God. David does that right here. He's talking about his unborn state and suddenly he just writes this, I praise you. I honor you. Actually, this whole idea began in the first verse even, as Paul, as David is being caught up with this awareness of God's omniscience and his, his omnipresence, even in the womb itself. And he acknowledges that God has done this fearfully and wonderfully. The Hebrew is something like this with that word fearfully. In respect to fearful or mysterious unknown things, I am distinguished, set apart even from the lower beings. Now, in a certain sense, God has created animals that way. They have organs, but not in the image of God in his complete sense. David's made in a little different way. This brings amazement about the growth of him being in the embryonic state in his mother's womb. God, you did this wonderfully. That word is usually used of the miracles of God. We noticed last Sunday afternoon that God, there are several words for miracles, wonders, signs, and powers, that sort of thing. Wonders is one of them. It means that which is extraordinary, distinct from ordinary things. How awe-inspiring is the word, the birth of a of a child, birth of a baby. It's a remarkable thing. But don't forget, there's more than just the birth. There's also the initial conception and the growth in the mother's womb before the birth occurs. What a fearful, wonderful, mysterious, 
thing that is that God has brought about. And we can uh, appreciate this much more in our age with ultrasound and all those kinds of things that help us understand the birth process. Our bodies are specimens of wonder, a remarkable combination of of strength and beauty and, and balance. And such reflections should lead us into grateful praise for the Lord of how he made you and how he made me. Wonderful are your works, he goes on to say at the end of verse 14. My soul knows it very well. Not just the conception, not just fetal development, not just a remarkable uh, birth and our remarkable bodies, but not to mention all that God has done for us. It's a wonderful thing. My soul knows it very well. In the depths of our soul, we know this is a wonderful thing that God has done in bringing us into being and bringing us to the stage of our life. Surely we know it very well as David knew it very well. So the God of the unborn is creator. The God of the unborn, therefore, is praiseworthy. And thirdly, the God of the unborn is omniscient. Go back to the first verse. I didn't read verses 1 to 6. I'd like to read those now. It has to do with God's omniscience. God knows everything. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before. Lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now those verses really lead right into verses 15 and the first part of verse 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Sometimes we refer to the frame of a, of a body. The basic frame of the body, we usually think of the skeletal structure. And indeed, that's what the Hebrew word means, the idea of skeleton or bony substance. But not just the bones, but the ligaments and the muscles that give strength and stability. Lord, my frame was not hidden for you when I was being made in secret. The womb is that mysterious receptacle in which the unborn baby grows and takes shape. And God knows all about it. It's not hidden from him. As it were, he's like a, a great artist laboring in his studio for, with a painting or a sculpture. But he doesn't want anybody to see it until it's completed. And so during the normal nine-month process in the mother's womb, that Embryo is growing and developing. We go to ultrasound and we see that we see the heart beating and we see the fingers, the hands being formed. We see the, the head and the shape being developed of the, of the birth, preparation for the birth. Remarkable thing. But not until the birth is ready is the finished product come forth. God's all planning that, all involved in that. 
I don't know who said this, but it's a neat little phrase. We cannot begin too soon to bless our maker who began so soon to bless us. He blessed you long before you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Those of you that have done that. He blessed you way before you got your first job, before you were married, before you finished your education, before you began to walk. The Lord was active in your mother's womb, getting you ready for your earthly existence. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. In secret, intricately woven, he says. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven. That's an interesting phrase. So I think that's a very good translation of the one Hebrew word, termed by Dr. Edward J. Young, a strange and bold word, used for the tabernacle curtains, the threads and so on that went through the tabernacle curtains for Israel. The idea of embroidery, we've all seen the embroidery of a beautiful cloth or a beautiful carpet or a Persian rug. What remarkable things those are. David is saying, Lord, that's how you made me in my mother's womb, intricately woven together. The idea also of knitted together. And I'm looking for that word that my eyes go here. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The idea there is of the metaphor for the womb, the depths of the earth. In the depths of the earth, in the depths of my mother's womb, you were doing this. There was a medical assistant who once was very impressed with the variegated color of the organs as he examined uh, the organ structure in our bodies. He said, boy, that's, that's very beautiful. There's different colors in, in there, intricately woven in our mother's womb. David was very impressed with that. In the depths of the earth. Perhaps this is an allusion to Genesis 2-7, that God formed man from the dust of the ground. Job 33-6 says this interesting thing. I was pinched off from a piece of clay. Again, the idea is of darkness, a a protected place, but a, a safe place. Pirates would take their treasure, and what would they do with it? They'd find a place, an island or someplace, to bury their treasure so that no one would discover it. God was working in the depths of the earth, in the darkness of the womb of the mother, forming David. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Throughout this psalm, we find the Lord looking down upon the children of men and his omniscience, seeing everything, including what's happening in the womb of the mother. John Stott has written, although the Bible makes no claim to be a textbook of embryology, here was a plain affirmation that the growth of the fetus is neither haphazard nor automatic, but a divine work of creative skill. So the God of the unborn is creator, he is praiseworthy, He is omniscient. And fourthly, the God of the unborn is sovereign. 
Verse 16, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. There's more in our text this morning than simply the conception and the fetal development and the birth. David also now takes over at the birth process and takes us to the end of our days. The end of our days. Powerful words that can very, be very encouraging to our lives, to your life and my life. Because David speaks about what happens after birth. It's a remarkable statement. Look at it very closely. It speaks of God's sovereignty over your life, His supreme power, His exalted excellence, His absolute control, not just in the birth process, but all the days after that. In your book, he says, in Scripture we find the idea of God keeping a record in His book of each and every person. And what appears in this book every single day of your life and my life, in every single moment, every one of those days, God is aware of it completely. All of David's experiences were formed long before David experienced any of them. Part of a carefully constructed divine plan. A specific number of days was allotted to him. That's why some people die earlier than others. Why some people live longer than others. Because there have been a certain amount of days allotted by the sovereign creator of all things, the great holy God. Jeremiah recognized this, the prophet, in chapter 1, verse 5. God's word came to him and said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you prophet to the nations. And Paul had the same idea in Galatians 2, verse 15, Galatians 1, verse 15. He who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. So both Jeremiah and Paul acknowledged that before they were born, God was already using them and preparing them for their future lives. I said at the beginning that you weren't going to hear much about the gospel thus far, but I'd like to lead up to that. What are some applications we can learn from this passage this morning? Well, first of all, the whole abortion issue, and, and I could go on and on on that, but I don't want to spend too much time on it, except to say it should be obvious why people who take the Bible seriously oppose abortions for no other reason than this text right here. The fetus is a person made in God's image. God values the child at every stage of his or her development, including in the womb of the mother. There's a continuity there from conception to the birth process to the birth and to the days that follow. God is in control. All of that. Psalm 139 teaches that the womb is a sacred place. How dare anyone invade and kill a child without just reason? A second application is simply one of encouragement. Encouragement. 
we should be encouraged that God controls every twist and turn of our lives, of the plot of your story and my story. Nothing will happen to you not written in his book. Even my pull muscle last Thursday morning was part of his allotted plan for me. He knows what's best. And he will do what is best. He is forming our days so that they are exactly the kind of days you should have to become the kind of person he wants you to be. like a potter in the clay. Potter takes the clay and he twists and pulls and turns it, shapes it, makes it what he wants it to be. God is the sovereign God. We are his creatures. He's serving and he's working in each one of our hearts and our lives to make us who he wants us to be. We should be encouraged by that. This week, as you face your problems and difficulties, you should thank God, Lord, It's part of your plan for me. I'm not enjoying it necessarily. don't like it. But I submit to your will, your ways. You know what you're doing. I'll just keep my trust in you day by day by day. A third application is uniqueness. There is only one you. There's only one you. There's only one me. Your face, your features, your voice, your style, your background, your characteristics, your peculiarities, your abilities, your smile, your walk, your handshake, your viewpoint. No one does it exactly like you do. And no one does it exactly like I do. Because God has a purpose Separate purpose for each of us, according to his sovereign ways. You are a unique, significant person, unlike anybody else on the face of the whole earth who has ever lived or whoever will live. Good thing to keep in mind in this age of identity crisis and groupthink. Everybody has to do it together. We're all just cogs of the wheel and nothing different about us. We are all unique. And now, fourth, we finally come to the gospel. The gospel of the new birth. Think of these verses that we looked at today as a grand introduction to understanding spiritual birth. You remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus I'm very impressed. He said, I'm very impressed with you as a teacher and rabbi. I want to know more about you. And Jesus said to him, what? You must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus scratched his head and said, I'm not sure I understand that. What do you mean? You mean I have to go back into my mother's womb a second time and be born? And, of course, Jesus clarified that. He said, no, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth, new birth, birth by the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this the doctrine of regeneration, as God's Holy Spirit places within us something new, something different, a little seed, a conception, if you will, which changes our nature and enables us to begin to have understanding of spiritual things. We begin to understand our sin. 
the first time. I never, I never thought about that before. I didn't realize God was so angry with me. I need to get right with God. And then he learns about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent Jesus to be the Savior, to deliver us from our sins, to give us eternal life. And a spiritual process takes place. The Holy Spirit's work in our souls. Isn't it significant that Jesus himself was the product of a very special conception in the womb of Mary? That his incarnation began at that moment that the Holy Spirit planted that seed in the womb of Mary. You read in Luke chapter 1, references to Mary's womb, to her cousin Elizabeth's womb. And there's reference to the fact that there was a son, a real person within their wombs. Well, that beginning of Jesus of Nazareth was the very beginning of the stages of his life on earth, preparing the way for him to go to the cross and eventually be raised. It began there, physically speaking, in the womb of Mary. He did that, that happened on behalf of sinners like us, that we might have a Savior, that we might come to understand that we need Him. So the God of the unborn is also the God of the born again. And I would ask you this morning, have you been born again? Do you know as you look in your heart, your soul, you say, yes, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I put my trust in Christ and my hope is in Him. I have evidence in my life, my interest in spiritual things, my interest in this church, my interest in being with godly people. I I find that. So I see evidence I have been born again. But maybe there's some here you have not yet been born again. You're still just kind of the same person you always are spiritually. You're kind of interested in the Bible and interested in things about God and the church, but you've not yet made that commitment to Jesus Christ. When you look at the passage we've looked at this morning and think about it, you should be very humble in the sight of a holy God and accept the gift of salvation that he offers to you through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.